I'm Jennifer Gonzalez from the Cult of Pedagogy podcast, a proud member of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to right now. The opinions expressed are those of the individual hosts. Make sure you check out all the other great podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. And get ready, because the learning begins in three, two, one... Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Reimagined Schools podcast, a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. I'm your host, Greg Goins, and my special guest today is Tom Murray, who serves as the Director of Innovation for Future Ready Schools, a project of the Alliance for Excellent Education located in Washington, D.C. Tom has testified before the United States Congress and has worked alongside that body the U.S. Senate, the White House, the U.S. Department of Education, and state departments of education, corporations, and school districts throughout the country to implement student-centered, personalized learning while helping lead the Future Ready Schools movement. Tom is a former teacher and school principal who's the co-author of the best-selling book, Learning Transformed, Eight Keys to Designing Tomorrow's Schools Today with his good friend Eric Schinniger. He's been named one of the top 100 influential voices in education, and is a tireless advocate for leading the charge to transform our K-12 schools. Be sure to connect with Tom on both Twitter and his website at thomascmurray.com, and be sure to check out all the great resources at futureready.org. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Tom Murray as we kick off our 2019 schedule right here on the Reimagined Schools podcast. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Reimagined Schools podcast. We're in the saddle again, kicking things off in 2019 with our first episode for the new year, and I can't think of a better first guest for the new year than our friend Tom Murray. How are you, Tom? Oh, what a pleasure it is to be here, and I was going to say, if I'm the first guest, I I thought I was going to be last on your list here. I figured you had run out of guests by 2019, but no, it's good, good to be with you, my friend, and thanks for having me on. Well, it's always a pleasure. Tom Murray is the Director of Innovation for Future Ready Schools, which is a project under the umbrella of the Alliance for Excellence in Education. And there's a lot of exciting things going on. And as we were talking a little bit before we came on the air, this podcast is kind of more real time. This episode will actually come out tomorrow on January 24th. So we want to get into some specific dates and some specific issues that are uh, that are time sensitive as, as we kind of have had the discussion. But I want to begin with how we first, um, you know, came to meet each other back in 2015. I attended one of the very early Future Ready Summits in St. Louis, Missouri, and uh, it was a wonderful two-day event. I took a couple principals, some tech coordinators. Uh, Eric Schinniger was there. Joe Sanfilippo was there. Uh, just a wonderful experience. So for those maybe not familiar with Future Ready Schools, can you just Give your five-minute elevator speech as to what, what you're all about. Sure. So Future Ready Schools is, is uh, what, what I have the pleasure to do literally on a daily basis from coast to coast. We work with school and district leaders 
And what I love about it is, you know, I spent the first half of my career, the first 15 years in public schools here in Pennsylvania. And I always felt like, what's the catch? What's the sales pitch? Anytime I went to something. And what I love about Future Ready is there is none. There's no catch. There's no sales pitch. There's no death by PowerPoint so you can come get a free lunch. We are there to be kid-centered. We are there to support school and district leaders. Over the past four years, since President Obama kicked it off at the White House four years ago now, we've had almost 50 different events around the country. At these events, we have um, typically about 250 school and district leaders. We have a variety of strands. One of the things I'm most, um, and I'll dive into each one of those in just a moment, but one of the things I'm most proud of related to Future Ready is it's very practitioner-driven and practitioner-focused. You know, when I moved from my position as a district leader, cabinet level here in Pennsylvania, to go to Washington, D.C. to work, I will tell you, I, was, I think I was pretty jaded on a lot of levels. You know, from the D.C. end, the political end, we see what we see on TV. And, you know, it was kind of my mantra was always like, who are these folks in Washington, D.C. going to tell me what to do in my district where they've never even set foot? And so that's really always stuck with me, having been a principal, having been a teacher, having been a district level leader, that we're not this 50,000 foot organization to fly in, tell you what you have to do and fly back out. That is not our mantra. We really need to be practitioner focused and practitioner driven. One of the things I'm really um, excited about is, is, is the practitioner leadership that we have. And if you go to futureready.org, you can check out the website. You can see a lot of the things that are there. But in the about section, you'll see who's actually running it. We have about 70 different uh, folks that are in schools, running schools, that run our five different strands. So our different strands that we had four years ago when we kicked off, it really, the focus was district leadership. Superintendents like you, Greg, being one, you came, you brought some folks that you wanted because we recognize, number one, I'll back up, we recognize teachers have been doing great things in classrooms forever, literally since the beginning of time when school started, but at the same time, to shift things in a district, district level leadership needs to be on board. They really set that tone. It doesn't mean teachers won't do great things on their own because they will, but to get that systemic shift, we really need superintendents and district level leaders to get it, to understand the need to change, but then to, to lead that change in, a, in an environment, in a culture of innovation, in an environment where teachers feel they can take risks, where teachers are supportive, and where administrators model that work. And so four years ago, we started with district level leadership because ultimately that's just what makes sense. You know, we got some pushback then, well, what about teachers? What about principals? And certainly we understood, but when, when you're talking capacity, we had to start somewhere. But over the past four years, we've grown into five different strands. So we have our district leadership strand, just like we have since day one. I help oversee that. Um, to give you the practitioner example, you referenced Joe Sanfilippo. Joe is a superintendent in Wisconsin. Joe is one of the two leaders that lead the, the district leadership strand. The other is Dr. Suzanne Lacey. She's the superintendent in Talladega uh, in Alabama. And so that's one of our strands, district leadership focus. So in that, that strand, we'll have curriculum directors, professional learning folks. It's typically a lot of your uh, district office folks, especially your superintendents. With that, also, we have a principal strand. Principal strand is read, led by Jimmy Casas, a longtime principal, probably one of the top known uh, principals in our country, as well as Brad Gustafson, the elementary principal of the year in, in Minnesota. Uh, they work together on a lot of the content and the visioning for that. Instructional coaches strand, if you know Sarah Thomas, uh, Sarah's an incredible instructional coach in Prince George's County, and Sarah and Brianna Hodges, Brianna is down in Texas. They lead that work. We have a librarian strand that's run by Shannon Miller and Mark Ray, as well as the tech leadership strand, which is run by Vince Scheibert, who is the CIO of the year for COSIN a couple years ago, and Carl Hooker, also down there in Texas. But alongside of those folks, we have 
um, probably in addition to them, about 55 other thought leaders, as we call them, really for lack of a better term, that guide the work. And so for us, Future Ready has to be grounded in the practices that are happening in schools today, has to be grounded in the work of, of what great schools are doing, but also has to be grounded at the building level. Because we understand just being 50,000 foot policy, you can become unrealistic and utopian-esque very, very quickly. So we're proud of the practitioners that lead the way for Future Ready. Everything we do in terms of events, so I was referencing some of the events we run, the institutes that we run, two-day events is free and there's no catch. We raise money every year to be able to turn and support districts for free. And so the uh, we'll be launching our 2019 institute dates around the country, um, probably within the next month or so. And we'll have hundreds of people come. Most of our events, we get huge waiting lists of school administrators that want to come. Why? Because we provide great professional learning. We understand it's an opportunity to model what they can do back in their schools and districts, to come to an event. We pay for the lunch. We pay for breakfast. We even pay for a happy hour at the end of day one. Why? Because we want people to come together to network and to connect. At the end of the day, Future Ready is also about amplifying the great things that happen in schools nonstop. We recognize before day one of Future Ready, there was amazing things happening in school districts. We recognize before day one of Future Ready, throughout schools, great things were happening. We also want to be a voice for hope, a voice to show that you know, the work that we are doing in our schools is working, great things are happening. So we really want to amplify that. But I will also say one of our other real core values is this notion of equity. We continue to have vast issues with inequalities throughout our nation in so many different ways. One being equity and opportunity, the opportunities that kids have in different schools. How do we increase that? So maybe I'm a rural school, maybe I'm an urban school. Sometimes those experiences look vastly different than your suburban schools that have a good amount of money. And how do we we balance out some of those those pieces so every child, regardless of their zip code, can have that opportunity, but also equity and access. There is um, a technology component to the Future Ready framework. You know, when we look at some of the disparities, things that's been coined the homework gap, that's something we worked on in DC, where students don't have internet access at home. Disproportionately, it's our black and Hispanic families. Um, and so when we take a look, we'll focus on areas like that because we're not there to, to serve the left, we're not there to serve the right, we're there to serve children. And so um, regardless of what it is our work in DC, we come at it from a bipartisan way. We come at it because we are there to serve kids and also to serve school and district leaders. It has been a fun ride. It has been an exhausting ride, but I'll also say we're just getting started. 2019 is going to be bigger and better than ever, and we are fired up. And if you are a new superintendent or new principal, or maybe you're hearing about Future Ready for the first time, you certainly want to uh, follow Tom on Twitter at Thomas C. Murray. Uh, you want to get involved and go visit that Future Ready Schools website. There's a pledge that school districts can sign, uh, you know, saying, hey, we're going to be Future Ready. There's also a wonderful dashboard and a lot of great resources there. One of the things, Tom, that's really cool, and, and uh, this is time sensitive, so I want people to know about this. The deadline is, Feb is February 10th, which is coming up here pretty shortly. But you have a Future Ready Schools Film Festival contest that you've launched. So can you talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. So this is the first time we're going to be doing this. Again, we recognize great things are happening in schools and districts, and we want to be one of those beacons of hope in showing the great things that are happening. But we also want schools to have the opportunity to have a national platform to be able to, to show the things that they're doing and show them on a national level. And so you can submit at the Future Ready Film Festival. If you go to futureready.org slash film fest, you have the opportunity to submit a video. The deadline, as you mentioned, is coming up. It is February 10th. 
We are going to go through those. We have a little bit of a rubric to choose uh, what some of those winners will be. And then we're excited to share live on air on Digital Learning Day, which is at the end of February, who those winners are. And so we encourage districts to capture their stories. And I will tell you, when you create videos like that, it's not just to submit it for a film fest. You can then use those videos for your own PR to show your community, to show your state and throughout the great things that are happening in your schools. We've had thousands of districts. You referenced the Future Ready Pledge. We've had over 3,300 school district superintendents and you're a former superintendent. You know, it's hard to get five superintendents to do the same thing. We've got over 3,300 superintendents that have signed on to say, we believe in this work. We are leading this way. This is not some unfunded mandate. This is, they feel is really a moral imperative to prepare kids for their future. But the Future Ready Film Fest is an opportunity to highlight the great things happening in their schools and then to possibly be showcased at the national level on Digital Learning Day. And, you know, we've talked a little bit about Digital Learning Day, and that is actually coming up on February 28th. And you can get more information by using the hashtag DL Day. And I know that's something that, that you're passionate about. And, uh, folks, if you're thinking about submitting a video, there's still plenty of time, but you want to jump on it right now and get your students involved and share all the great things that are happening in your school. You know, we talk a whole lot about Future Ready. I think it's important, and I certainly want to shine a light on all the great things happening there. One thing I don't think we talk about enough, though, is your work with the Alliance for Excellent Education. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. So the Alliance for Excellent Education is really an equity-focused organization whose mission, when it started about 20 years ago, was to really improve the amount of students that were getting through high schools, So our, through the high school and getting through that diploma. <clears throat> but what we've realized over time, and we all know, that high school diploma is not enough at this point. That's a starting point. That's not an end goal for a district. That's the starting point into life. And so we've had a focus on traditionally underserved students whether they're rural students that have lacked connectivity and the needed resources, whether they're urban students and traditional populations that have been underserved, like our, our black students or Hispanic students, we really wanna focus on those kids that need additional support. So on one level, we have a policy team that'll work alongside, regardless of who's in office, alongside the White House, alongside the Senate and the Congress, I had the opportunity, I testified in front of Congress a couple years ago, again, working with Republicans and Democrats on a variety of issues. So whether it's helping to write portions of ESSA, uh, the, the federal law that replaced No Child Left Behind, uh, where, whether it's working with Republicans and Democrats to help bring them to the middle on what it is our kids need, but for us, keeping kids at the center, not politics, kids at the center of the conversation, but of course, education, it, it gets political. Um, but our work is to support kids in that work. Let me give you an example. The government shut down that has recently occurred can directly impact schools in a number of ways in the coming weeks and months. And so we certainly hope it doesn't get to that point. But as an example, fortunately, the U.S. Department of Education hasn't been shut down. So a lot of the funding that comes through schools hasn't been at risk. And so fortunately, schools continue to operate. It's not like that funding hasn't come through. But here's an example. The National School Breakfast Program and the National School Lunch Program don't actually come through the U.S. Department of Education. It's through the Department of Agriculture, which is shut down. Now, at this point, they've promised funding up until a point in March, but we've begun to advocate for superintendents to sign on to show President Trump and the um, 
and McConnell and Schumer and basically show them we are we need this funding you know because schools use that funding to provide the free school lunch that they need for students in need to provide the breakfast program for students in need for us that is not a red or blue issue that's serving children and we can't allow our most needy kids to go without a breakfast for a lunch now realistically we know schools because of who they are will step in and make sure those kids get food but then that means the district is paying for it on already a, a, a tight budget. And so we are um, really, really working. We're going to send a letter just here uh, towards the end of the week uh, to the president, to the Congress as well, saying and signing on by superintendents, this funding is a non-negotiable. We need it. We need to provide it because our schools need to provide those programs for kids. That's not about being political on how kids should learn math or some program. That's about feeding children. And so to us, that is a non-negotiable. So what we've done, uh, we've put information out there. I encourage you to check that out. Um, if, if you go to futureready.org slash, I believe it's slash lunch or school lunch, um, and you can sign on if you're a superintendent, listen, to show your support, to show the president and the Congress, we need this funding to make sure that doesn't go through. And again, it's not that the funding is going to be cut off tomorrow. Right now, they anticipate through March. But at what, what we've seen from the left and the right in Congress and this, this stalemate that we're in, we don't want to see children lose out. And so for us, we're going to advocate for issues like that. And so from the Alliance for Excellent Education, being an equity-focused organization, you know, who are the children that qualify for, uh, who are the students that qualify for free and reduced lunch? Quite often, it's our needy, some of our neediest kids. And so with that, we want to advocate for them. So we do some of that work as well. Future Ready, Digital Learning Day are also the, under the umbrella of the Alliance. And it's, again, our way to serve students and to serve uh, those educators that are working tirelessly across the country every single day. And you know, Tom, you talk a lot about being bipartisan and why that's important as we, or as you have a seat at the table to talk about, I guess, the pros and cons of, uh, of things related to education policy. But the reality of it is we still live in a country that is extremely divided and uh, it is partisan at times uh, in D.C., or most of the time, rather. So as you think about the Department of Education, you think about big decisions that have been made under this new administration, what has that transition been like? I know you were, uh, or you had a, a very positive rela relationship with Arne Duncan and uh, then into John King as the uh, Secretary of Ed. How have things changed? And uh, those of us looking for more hope as we think about changing some things and becoming future ready schools, what's your general, um, your take on the state of the Department of Ed and education reform on a national and global level? Sure. So here's how I'll, here's how I'll preface that. Regardless if it's the right or the left, there's good people on all sides. Um, with that in our work, we are bipartisan because regardless of who's in office, we need to be able to do the work we need to do for kids. And so with that, maybe that's taking something like ESSA that was signed by President Obama shortly before leaving office, you know, working with Democrats, working with Republicans on bringing it to what is it that our kids need? How do we create the flexibility for states, the flexibility for local districts to make their decisions so that local control and, and as people were pleading for that throughout the, the end of No Child Left Behind, we advocate for those kinds of things. We help write policy for those kinds of things. But it's no secret, and, and it's not a partisan thought here, but things have changed significantly under new leadership in the U.S. Department of Education. You know, um, there's a, a lot more related to things like choice, and certainly there was things, uh, whether it was things that we saw through Race to the Top or certain charter things, you know, under the former administration, it's obviously been expanded in terms of um, the, the new leadership that's there and their thoughts on 
on school choice and those kinds of things. And so that's one example. One thing that I would say is concerning to me is that we've seen a lot of the protections that were put in by some of the um, other, uh, some of the prior administration have been really stripped away. And so when we take a look at some of that, you know, for us, it really comes down to protecting children, especially our most needy children. So one of those, when some of those protections get stripped away, it is a, a red flag or a concern with us. One of the things that we're seeing here is we're also looking at ESSA implementation plans. And so the Secretary of Education, Betsy DeVos, had to sign off on the state's plans. And that's been going on for about the past year. So one of the things we'll do is we'll make sure that when we take a look, because as states, the good thing is states have control, they have more control, but here's where it can become an issue. If states set the guidelines in the bar so low that there's no red flags if our underserved students aren't doing well, that causes us concern. You know, one of the things about things like No Child Left Behind, and we can all gripe about things that, you know, we saw become certainly negatives that we probably all agree with, but one of the things No Child Left Behind did is it forced us to look at data in subsets and groups of students that we hadn't previously. And we do have to ask the question, for instance, if we've got high graduation rates for our white students, yet our black or Hispanic students are failing miserably, and I'm just making up that example, but it happens all over the place, we have to ask why. And as a district, we really need to make sure that we are doing everything we can to support all subgroups of students. And No Child Left Behind really pointed that out prior to that. You could have great graduation rates as a district and kind of hide some of these subgroups in there, whether it was our, our special ed population or whatever the case may be. And so on that end, one of the things we've advocated for is not the slap on the wrist that No Child Left Behind, but more of, hey, if these students aren't doing well, how do we support them? How do they get the federal funding they needed to help through aid and support, not through a slap on the wrist and takeaway, which was really one of the downsides related to No Child Left Behind. So in our work in DC, whether it's working with Secretary Duncan, Secretary DeVos in some, in some fashion, how do we protect kids? How do we create the guardrails around things like ESSA to make sure that there is an accountability for schools? Not that we're some protesting organization as well. I'm a former principal, a former teacher. There's certainly downsides to some of the things we've seen, <clears throat> in my opinion, related to standardized testing and the way that they've been used. But how do we make sure that all of our kids are getting that opportunity? And how are we making sure that district leadership is making the decisions, especially for underserved students, that they need to make? And so that's where we'll come in and call some states out at times saying, listen, your expectations for those students is abysmally low and that's not okay. You need to raid those expectations because we need to give those students the opportunity. And so we'll do some of those things, but things have changed. You know, um, also as we continue to look, there are some good things there as well. You know, so I, and I could again, take any administration and really show some sides of things. I think, you know, they value, the new administration continues to value some of the STEM stuff and the coding stuff that some of the other administration really put some emphasis on. So there's some great things that continue there as well. Listen, for every administration, you'll get those people on one side, those people on another, those people that agree, those people that disagree. On our end, how do we bring people together? It's often in the middle, and sometimes we find that truth in the middle, to support all students. But at the end of the day, we need to make sure we, we are protecting our most needy children or those ch children that need our protection the most. My guest today is Tom Murray, Director of Innovation for Future Ready Schools. Uh, you can find him at his website at thomascmurray.com. Tom is also a fantastic keynote speaker. Had a chance to hear you on a couple different occasions. So if you want to schedule Tom to come to your school district or education event, follow him on Twitter at Thomas C. Murray or visit the website. If we could switch gears just a little bit, Tom, uh, as we go through the last 10 minutes of the podcast, uh, you also have written a fantastic book. Uh, that came out in 2017. The name of the book is Learning Transformed, 
eight keys to designing tomorrow's schools today. And that was a project with Eric Schinniger as co-author. Now I've known you long enough to know this is where you are most passionate. Yeah. You know, Eric's a really good friend of mine and Eric and I find ourselves doing so much similar work. You know, we both work with school and district leaders. We get to work with thousands of them every year from coast to coast. And so when we, when we look at the work, we really wanted to answer what is it that schools need? The work on Learning Transform is really written for school and district leaders. It's not written for your average teacher. And I don't say that in any sort of condescending way at all. It's not a book of, you know, what's a tool, what's an app I can use tomorrow. You won't see that at all in it. We really wanted to take a look. We spent about a year researching what is it that schools are doing? What is it that districts are doing from large to small, from suburban to urban to rural? What are they doing that's actually working? And what does research show from evidence and backgrounds that's actually working? So we put together a book, The Eight Keys, of things that we continue to see. I'll give you an example. The first key is school, like um, leadership and culture set that tone for transformation. And so with that, where does that come from? As we work across the country, we've been in some of the most um, wealthy schools that have it all. We joke like they're not going one to one. They're talking about we're going three to one, baby. We give it all. We give a Chromebook and an iPad. We pay their cell phone bill. They've got it all. But yet in some cases, they're teaching like they did 30 years ago. How is that? Why is that? But then we've also been to some places. I was in a place just two weeks ago, 100% free and reduced lunch. Every single child in that district qualifies. Every single child in that district lives in poverty, and yet they're doing amazing things. What is the difference there? It's leadership and school culture. But we're very quickly to point out, school leadership is not by title. You can have superintendent after your name and be very ineffective. You can have teacher on a business card and being amazingly effective and an incredible school leader. <clears throat> and so when we look at those pieces, we went from research to practice. What is it that school and districts are doing? What is it that they need? So throughout the book, we have over 20 different mini case studies written by superintendents of the year, CIOs of the year, and those folks showing here's where we were, here's the roadblocks we came up to, and then here's where we're going with it so that that way they have in practice. People want to see that. You know, we can talk 50,000 foot philosophical on what kids should be able to do and what they need. But then it becomes, well, show me what it looks like. What's it look like in practice? So we, hired so many, we hired, um, highlighted so many different cases from so many different states and different types of leaders and, and different places, urban and suburban and so on, to show here's what it actually looks like in practice. And as we walk through the keys, that, the keys truly for transformation, they're really the big bucket areas that people cannot miss as they transform. One of the examples of one of the areas is this notion of learning spaces, but we didn't write it from you've got to take $10,000 in every classroom to buy all new flexible color for furniture. That's not feasible for a lot of places. And the reality is you can put all brand new colorful furniture in every classroom. And if the pedagogy doesn't shift, you're just wasting money. I mean, people might be a little bit more comfortable, but you're just wasting more, more money and you know, management, management issues will now come up. And so we really wrote from research to practice, what is it that actually works? What does it look like in practice? With a lot of practical tips on where to get started and how we can do those different things. Whether you know, one of our chapters, one of our keys is professional learning must become personal. You know, how do we, why, why do we do that? Because that's what the research and the evidence shows that works. So what is it schools and districts are doing to make it more personal? So teachers have a voice, they have a choice. The notion of their agency becomes paramount when we're talking about doing that for kids. And so we work those through, through those different keys. It's really resonated with school and district leaders because it is, we're proud to say, an ASCD bestseller. And at a minimum, if folks, if you don't have the book, just Google uh, Learning Transform Study Guide because it's free and it's online. Every one of our chapters, we have about 15 or 16 questions that we put together to say, like, if we were working with superintendents or principals, 
we were working with them, what are some of the tough questions that we would ask? Things about demographics and subgroups of why there's disparities in their districts. And, you know, so we look at uh, the, the equity lenses really throughout that. Um, you know, when we take a look, I'll give you one more area, this notion of technology. Greg, one of the things that's driven me insane, and I've wrote, written about it recently a whole bunch of times, you know, I feel like there's a segment of education out there that gets all jazzed up on the latest apps or all jazzed up on the latest tools. You know, they're celebrating that they're totally digital. You know, everything is paperless. And with all due respect, so what? Because we can be 100% digital and 100% low level. And I see we're celebrating all this stuff that's out there. How do we make sure we're hyper-focused on learning? Because you can be amazingly innovative with very few tools and amazingly traditional with all the tools in the world. And so how do we make sure that we're hyper-focused on the learning? Because we go to these conferences, and I, I probably do 30, 40 conferences a year. You, you know, let me give you a, an example. I'll, I'm going to two conferences just next week. If I were to title one session, 50 apps in 50 minutes, and I were to put it in one session on the left-hand side, it would be packed and people would be crawling on the floor. And the session on the right-hand side, if it was shifting pedagogy, there'd be four people sitting in the front row. I see it all over the place. And it's a microcosm of the issues we have. Now look, there's a time and a place to learn different apps or to get different tools. But we get all fired up thinking that, hey, I'm 100% digital, I'm using all these digital tools. And sometimes if we peel back the, uh, the onion, it, it's really just low level stuff. We've gotta be really careful with that. I wrote a blog post this past week and it actually, you know where I learned that is through my own failures. And so um, it was talking about being one-to-one -one in my classroom 17 or 18 years ago in Palm Pilots and how I went through and I created this entire lesson because I was getting observed and I had 100% engagement. Technology was used 100% of the time. I was all fired up the next day and the principal really pushed me on it and said, Tom, you know, I, I really think you created that lesson because the technology could do something, not because it was the best way to learn something. So the stories that I'll share are those kinds of things. And when I keynote, as you shared earlier, I will often share through my failures. Um, I'm not the kind of person that will stand up there and say like, look how perfect it was and look how great I designed it. And that, to me, I think that turns people off. I like to share my failures and how I messed it up because I think people can relate to that. And so when we go back to the Learning Transform piece, we felt like it was a book that was really needed for school and district leaders. We felt like it was a book superintendents could work with their board on to show here's the why, here's the urgency, here's the evidence and research to show that why the change is needed. But at the end of the day, to put it all in one spot so that they have that manual, they have that toolkit to be able to do that. And when we shared it with, with folks we know, whether it was Arnie Duncan or Marzano or Dan Pink or Linda Darling-Hammond, um, Michael Fullen and those folks, the feedback that they gave for school and district leadership was really incredible and we were honored by that. And so thanks for giving it a shout. I appreciate it. We poured our hearts into that for about a year and a half, really try and create that, that uh, support for change because school and district leaders are working their hearts out just like teachers are, but they need that support in that change and the reassurance that they are doing the right thing. And we were hoping Learning Transform provided that for them. Well, it's a fantastic book. And folks, if you don't have it, you need to jump out there and get it. Uh, the name of the book, again, is Learning Transformed, Eight Keys to Designing Tomorrow's Schools Today uh, with Eric Schinniger. You can also use the hashtag uh, LT8Keys to get more information about it. You know what, Tom? Every time we talk, I feel a little bit better about not only where we're at, but where we're going. So, so big thanks to you for being on today. I appreciate it, my friend. It's all for the kids that we serve. We can never lose sight of why we do what we do. Thanks for the opportunity today. Thank you for your leadership as well. And for those of you that are still listening to the podcast, thanks for loving and caring about kids and thanks for what you do every day. 
So be sure to jump on the website for Future Ready Schools. Also, don't forget about the deadline. February 10th is right around the corner if you want to submit to the Future Ready Schools Film Festival. So a big shout out and thanks to our friend Tom Murray. And until next time, folks, remember, do what you can in your school and community to create better schools for kids. Thank you for listening to the Reimagined Schools podcast with Dr. Greg Goins. Be sure to continue the conversation on social media with the Reimagined Schools hashtag and subscribe to the podcast at reimaginedschools.net. You can also help support this podcast by clicking on the listener support link and making a small monthly contribution. Contact Dr. Greg Goins today to invite him to speak or present at your next education conference or professional development day. Please send inquiries to drgreggoins at gmail.com or on Twitter at drgreggoins.